Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Unspoiled, covering The Dark Tower. Book 7, The Dark Tower. Part 4, The White Lands of Empathica Dandelo. Chapter 1, The Thing Under the Castle, and Chapter 2, On Badlands Avenue. In these chapters, this is what I'm talking about, (laughs) motherfuckers! Welcome to Unspoiled. Did I blow your eardrums out? Sorry, listeners. No, it's <laughs> that's that's great. I was not of all the things I was expecting. I'm not sure I was expecting that, but I'm happy that you enjoyed these. I really did. Listen, apparently, I'm realizing that between this and like the the rush to get to Stephen King in time, he's just really good at writing like down-to-the-wire panicky sort of scenes. Um, And that seems to be where he always pulls it out. And you would think that the the down-to-the-wire panicky sort of scenes would be the battles, but it seems like it's only when people are out of their element and kind of not able to control the situation that King is really able to, like, get across this desperate, helpless feeling yeah and he's really good he's really good at it so i think everyone i'm natasha hi (laughs) i'm miles (laughs) and i think things hi um in this case i think that um the this selection really picks up with the the monster flight like Mm -hmm. that little chase scene in the tunnels and then after that it kind of turns into um, a really interesting, you know, tense kind of survival story, which mm-hmm. is written very effectively, even if not much happens during it. Right. Um, everything leading up to the the monster chase, I could really do without personally. 
But um, as soon as that happens, then we're really like, I don't know. There's something to be said for being back in this kind of story where we haven't really been in this kind of story in what seems like a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, um, I can, I can see what you mean about not really being excited for the stuff before the monster chase, but I was kind of into that only because it was super unexpected. Like there were so many weird, bizarre things mm-hmm. that they decided to do with it. And um, I just wasn't ready for it, frankly. Like, I, 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 the, the many doors that they're walking by, yeah. the things behind them. Yeah. And the way that things just sort of, there's something way, and I, I've said this before, like, give me a dank cave over a, like, broken down hospital any day. Because the parochial thing mixed with the decay and abandonment is so much creepier to me. So the descriptions of these, like, we have seen abandoned places before in these books, obviously. It's like part and parcel with the whole thing is. But this felt so much more extreme and wild. Like, unpredictable. And... I think it it just like got under my skin somehow, like in a way that I wish had happened earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because we've seen, there's been a lot of repetition with like lots of robots that are partially working or evidence of civilization, like signs pointing this way and that and indicating what things were used for. And now they're in spots where they straight up don't know what this is. Right. You know, and that to me, like uh, people are so much scarier than anything. And the monster coming after them is really like in some ways, the least disturbing part of the whole (laughs) thing, you know? Um, So like, I get, I totally get what you mean. But I think because he went the extra step this time with a lot of it, it just took it over the edge and actually made me, like, thumbs up it, Um, which I'm really glad of. And I didn't realize that was what I wanted. I wasn't sure how you were going to react to this shift in tone. And I think a lot of people were kind of unsure. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it really is like we are back to this feels like the gunslinger. Yeah, like, it does. This is Roland and one person who's hanging out with him, running through the wilderness, chasing a thing, <laughs> and trying to find it, <laughs> and being chased by things too, and like, you know, just kind of it. Fe- uh, it feels way more raw and westerny, and like, you know, just not right. not as full of like meta bullshit like it's got a weird centipede monster in it (laughs) but like that kind of bullshit makes sense it's they're underground (laughs) it definitely feels like he set aside some of his like overly clever overwrought it's so much of it's felt some sort of like fan fiction of his own yes yeah 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 totally i um 
So, I, I don't know. I have issues. Like, I did notice some things, you know, some of the prevailing kind of things we've been looking at in these chapters. Um, there's one thing in particular that, especially rereading it, really bugged me about these two chapters. Really just okay. one big thing. And that's the fact that um, Susanna, who has a history of, like, looking at abandoned places and being able to somehow piece together what they're like. Oh, I forgot about that weird thing. Or what they were like, and that's kind of, that was the rationale for why she was able to create the Dogen that she went into in book six, right? Right. So, like, it... It really bugs me rereading it that they're doing they're going to all these different places. They're in Fedic, they're underneath Fedic, they're in these tunnels, they're on this road, they're in this town. And like they keep kind of hinting at the type of people that lived there. Like at one point, Susanna straight up asks Roland, like, what kind of people lived here? My god, or whatever. And Roland's like the kind that have run mad or something like that. And I was just like, the only exposition, not even exposition, but like the only commentary or meditation we get on how things used to be in the places they're passing through comes from Roland, and there's not much of it. So that bothered me. But aside from that, that, that's really my only big thing. I think that's fair. I didn't really, like, I didn't really buy Susanna being able to do that with being in abandoned places in the first place. So it didn't even occur to me that that was missing because it was kind of like, it was even shorter lived than Jake suddenly having the touch really strong. I mean, where it sort of like came out of nowhere. I felt like it dates back further though. It dates back further, but it came out of nowhere and then we didn't see it again since when probably until book six yeah i mean well because we didn't get any time with her in the cala yeah and all of book four was flashback so yeah probably um so yeah i uh i i think what you're saying is totally fair but it just didn't even enter my head because that wasn't something that like mattered to me in fact it kind of irritated me at the time if i am not mistaken yeah i don't think it bothered me the first time i read this at all because i remember I remember kind of having the same general feeling about this chapter, which is like, you know, well, this is different. Right. And I'm not upset about it. And that was a pretty great chase scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So oh, there is one thing that I will say bothered me in particular. And this is just kind of a, a thing that I'm not exactly sure if it was, if I took it the way that it was meant to be taken and it's sort of just, well, Suzanne is a product of her time. Or if it's Stephen King just kind of being a little gross. But they're, when the op- chapter opens, they're in Sayer's office. Yeah. And there's a painting on the wall of this young boy that's around Jake's age. And he says the picture had a not quite pleasant sensuality about it. Susanna thought that the painter, Cy Sayre, or both, might have been part of the Lavender Hill mob, as she had sometimes heard homosexuals called in the village. Which I just really detest the association of pedophilia with homosexuality, which I feel like is kind of what's being done there, because Jake is supposed to be, what, like 13? 
Ah, uh, if yeah, at the latest, I would say, like at, at the oldest. Yeah, no, I I I noticed that. I don't like it. The first part of this, like I said, I'm not fond of. Like the first right. part of this, I kept seeing things that were like. Oh Jesus! They mentioned insomnia again. Nobody cares. And, oh my God! You know. the, f- the the mind trap. Okay, <laughs> you know, like I guess it's fine. I asked the uh, I asked the Dark Tower um, Facebook chat the mm-hmm. one the one that I'm in that you're not. I asked them uh, why. Rub it in, you monster! I mean, you can be soon. But um, anyway, I asked them. Uh, why Insomnia was, like, a wrong book or whatever. Like, whatever, you know, how he referred to it, like it was a trap or or whatever right. it was. And somebody said, I'm pretty sure King was just, like, you know, kind of covering his bases. Because I'm pretty sure the, um... I think they were saying that the Crimson King shows up in Insomnia, but in kind of a different form, so it doesn't really um, mesh very well. So, oh, okay. So, so that was basically like somebody had to mention to Roland that he should look into this, but Roland couldn't look too much into it because it'd be a waste of time. Right, because it's not it's not consistent. It's like a it's like a uh, you know uh, misleading you know book. So that that is what somebody said in the chat. I don't know if that's true or not, but it is interesting. Um, but yeah, they they're in here. They kind of take some stuff. There's a picture of the Dark Tower. Which uh, they decide not to take with them, which is a good idea. Right. <laughs> that was such a weird, like, them getting obsessed. I, I actually kind of liked it because that also felt a little bit throwbacky. Of this, yeah. I kind of wonder if this couldn't hypnotize and fuck with us. Like, it's one of the wizard's balls. There's a, there's a weird bit where, at one point, before they go into the tunnel, Roland looks at Susanna and he's like, it's better with just the two of us, isn't it? What was that? And she's like, yeah, but it's still not perfect, so let's go. Yeah, I agree. That one was weird to me. That That's bizarre. I, I like, but, but even though that's bizarre and it bothered me, it's almost you, you like... You kind of like, yeah? It, yeah, it's almost like, wow, this story is more streamlined. The story is smoother. The story is running more cleanly, you know? Now that all the beam stuff is out of the way, Eddie's dead, supposedly. Jake's dead, probably. Um, and it's just the two of them and Oi, you know, yeah, it, it, it goes more smoothly, for sure. Like, you know, when she says, it, or when he says, it's better now that it's just the two of us, like, you're like, well, the book kind of is, so, <laughs> I guess. Well, it's easier to, yeah, I see what you're saying. But also, but, that's fucked up, Miles. I know, I know. Um, and I don't know why it's in the story. It makes no sense. Yeah, I just found it, like, kind of unbelievable that she wouldn't be totally offended by him saying that. Well, it especially makes no sense because so much of what we're learning in these chapters is that Susanna is just about done. Yeah. Like, she is having dreams about hanging out with Eddie and Jake in Central Park, and... She is waking from those from those dreams, going, you know what? I don't want to be here. Yeah, she's pretty much like she's thinking, would I sell my soul for a sweater later? And there's definitely a feeling to that of her going, I wish I fucking could. 
Not just like the, well, the temptation, it would be so dangerous right. if somebody were to offer, but there's also like, some, just give me the option and I might just go ahead. Just give me the option. That's all I ask. Well, that happens later when she jokes about like, no, we should be good as long as nobody shows up and, you know, offers mm-hmm. to give me a bunch of firewood to cry off the dark tower. And Roland's like, yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. Gee whiz, Cause, lady. Because you do it. <laughs> There's also this bit earlier where he promises her an oi when they're looking at the painting that um, that they will be with him when he stands at the room at the top. And right. Susanna is like, I don't believe that, neither do you. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I'm curious as to what you think about that. I've been kind of going back and forth in my head about what I think, who's going to get to the top. Mm-hmm. But I've decided that it's going to be Oi, and they are both going to die. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's not what I think. But I want it to be true, because I just don't see Oi making it to the end, even though I really, 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 really want him to. I mean, maybe my pregnant pause just now was to conceal my shock that, holy shit, how did she even guess that was going to happen? Ta-da. I just feel that... Honestly, Oi and, and Susan are, Susanna are in kind of a similar position, I feel like. They where totally Oi is are. also done. Yeah. <laughs> Oi is just like, you know, he's, he speaks once in honor of the dudes who escaped and left them a little note. Yeah. And that's the one time. And I kind of feel like things are winding down for him. And that if there is an opportunity for him to give himself up for them, he will be glad to take it. Mm. And I'm going to hate it. <laughs> I'm going to hate it. I mean, maybe he'll be the last survivor, though. Um, this uh, this painting, by the way, is done by one Patrick Danville, um, which uh, I believe we heard his name in the last chapter where they talked about Insomnia, because he's a little boy from Insomnia. Oh, right. I knew he sounded familiar, but it was like the friggin' Nicholas Flamel. I was just like, where did I know that from? Right. Um, and this picture, in this, like, perfectly rendered picture of the Dark Tower, there are little balconies outside it, and stuck on one of them, trapped outside the tower, is a little red blob with a little white face and little white fists. And seeming to confirm, uh, Roland's completely out-of-nowhere bullshit theory (laughs) that he is trapped outside the tower. Can we talk about how ridiculous this is? (laughs) I don't you see know. what I'm saying, guys? Like, I we have to talk about this, but once we get to the chase scene, it's going to be great. Sorry, go. I really don't know what Stephen King was thinking with this, and maybe like once we get to whatever he's doing, it will be more satisfactory. But at the moment, all I can think is how ridiculous it feels like. Somebody went away for the weekend and they left their dog on their patio. (laughs) Like, it just feels so not... Because he's like, oh, he's locked away from the one thing he wants. And I'm like, it doesn't feel like that when somebody's on a fucking balcony. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's stupid. Like, he could jump, he could climb, he could... Maybe he can't. But I don't know that right now. And so it feels to me like there's got to be something you could do other than just chill out there. Maybe he's too crazy. To do he's anything. Just, I don't know. He's been waiting for AAA for centuries and they just don't show like, up. Like, 
I, it's just like, oh shit, I left my key. Fuck. <laughs> you know, it just the the whole vibe of it is so absent-minded rather than like purposefully being kept away. It's oh, I fucked up and I didn't realize I locked it behind me. Oh shit, kind of thing. And I can't get over the fact that. Roland just dropped that he thought that this was happening out of nowhere and seemingly for no reason either. Yeah. I can't quite let that go. So the combo of him pulling it out of nowhere and how absurd the image is in my head, this was hilarious. And I wanted Susan, I keep calling her Susan, I wanted Susanna to kind of poke fun at it. And she doesn't. I was a little disappointed. No, it's serious business. Um, we do also, we've been getting a lot of Detta recently coming out in Susanna's voice. She's yeah. been, she's been showing her face more often and Roland keeps telling Susanna, will you please fucking like put her back? Yeah, I was, I gotta say, I'm not, and, and this is probably something that thematically is going to start making sense. And maybe it's supposed to be like a commentary on how she is kind of done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's not restraining herself the same way, but she isn't quite even conscious that she is as done as she is. Cause that can be how being depressed works. Yep. Um, but I'm not the biggest fan of Roland telling her, to put Detta away over and over again because it really just feels like he's telling her to shut up. And I know that's not really what's going on, but it feels like anytime she gets a little too loud, he's just like, will you fucking stop? Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Well, I ha- it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I, I feel like I'm being oversensitive to it, but it did. It just kind of bothered me. So I I hadn't really decided if I was going to say anything about that or not because I was in a similar boat. Like, on the one hand, it's like I understand why he's doing that. Like, Detta is someone that Roland has no reason to really want around. Although, mm-hmm. it's been a while since she tried to kill him. True. Um, but, you know, when when they thought they had fully merged her personalities, you know, even though Detta came out for the one thing to, like, you know, um, uh, get on the train, sorry. Um, it did feel like, you know, it would be a bad thing if she was back. And yeah. so, I, so I get it on the one hand. But on the other hand, I completely agree with you, and it's not just, I think the other thing about it is that it's not just when she, like, starts raising her voice or talking um, more sarcastically or rudely to him. It's also when she's speaking, you know, more in abonics. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that, I think, probably, I think almost certainly unintentionally, that makes it sound like he's shouting her down for talking to Black. Mm-hmm. So, I'm positive that's not what's happening, but that's what it feels like, and that's one of the you know, the dangers in going back and reading older stuff, right? I mean, this isn't yeah. even fucking that old, but yeah, um, it it, it rem- I, there was a couple years ago, and I think these women sued and like got some money, but um, do you remember? 
a group of black women who were on a Napa Valley wine tasting train tour and they were removed for being too loud. No, I don't remember this. It's, I feel like it happened about three years ago. Okay. Maybe maybe longer. And, um, yeah, they were, like, laughing and joking, and a couple other people complained. And they were, like, somebody came over and told them, can you keep it down? We've had a complaint. And they are like, okay. But they weren't doing anything wrong. Right. They were just laughing. And they laughed loudly. God forgive us. And finally, after one warning... The train was stopped and they were told to get off. Wow. And it was a really ugly scene. And uh, these women, I think, wound up suing the company and getting some money and, like, probably, like, oh, we'll give you another wine tour pass. Yeah, thanks. Um, But that was, like, what was kind of flashing through my head here was because, like you said, it's just there are times where it's her being, like, a dick to him, but also there are times where she's being, like, kind of like laughing wryly about something, which is my way of dealing with really shitty situations. So if somebody was getting on my case about making jokes when I'm in a life or death situation that is growing bleaker by the moment, I'd tell them to get fucked. <laughs> I'm going to do what I need to do to make it through this. And you can go kick rocks, my friend. And it really does seem like she's not, all she's doing is like making fun of him. Or, like, making some, like, shitty, rude comment. Not even that rude, right? It's like... Yep. Just, like, remarks. Detta remarks. Yeah, I... I, It's weird. And, you know, I could do without it. But, um... You know... It's just... It just hasn't aged well. Yeah. So, I just... I'm glad that you felt that as well. Yeah. Like I said, I feel... I do feel like I'm being oversensitive to it. But with everything that's been happening lately and, like... Things are just changing. It is hard to not see things like that. Yeah. uh, I mean... I think that's also the danger, not just of, like, rereading this, but also of writing this as a white dude. You know, there are just going to be things that you don't really think about how it comes across. um, Because that just whole phenomenon has not been part of your understanding of the world. So King probably would do this differently, I bet, nowadays, if he wrote it, than oh, he I, did here. You I know? have no doubt. I mean, especially because, I mean, this was 15 years ago. Like, it's been, I'm not sure it's even been five years since, you know, since the the really big shift in terms of, like, people recognizing and being willing to call out problematic problematic elements in media. And I think there's, you know... There's, like, a lot of interesting conversations to be had about that and and what people refer to as the outrage culture. Um, but certainly the solution is not to stop noticing. Like, I think the fact that we're noticing is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think King, you know, knowing his politics, I'm pretty sure he would, if he were writing this today, he would do things a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, but anyway... Let's, let's, you know what, they, they go down through the thing, they see a lot of doors that are shaking because weird shit is behind it, and it's pretty cool, mm-hmm. and then they go running down this tunnel, and Susanna's on Roland's back again, he's carrying her, there was a long, completely fucking, well, maybe not completely meaningless, but, uh, 
weird segment of them pushing her wheelchair downstairs until it broke. Oh um, yeah, that was kind of funny. <laughs> but yeah, there's these there's a, a, a tunnel lit with these weird lights that pulsate alongside Roland's running speed. And uh, this is where they have to run away from a giant fucking centipede monster, and it's great. Yeah, this was a really clever idea of having the um, lights tracking with him so that this thing can be following them, but still always in the dark, while they are not, at least initially. Uh, I thought that was a really clever mm-hmm. like mechanism to have this work. And also, like, the... The door, the things behind the doors, I want, I wish I could talk to Stephen King about this, because does this feel to anybody else, like, he just straight up had a nightmare, and was like, oh, that's going in the book. Because this (laughs) feels like a straight nightmare. They're walking down hallways with flickering bulbs that are going out, Mm -hmm. with doors of varying degrees of brokenness where things behind them are so loud and snarly and weird sounding that they have to use, like, it sounded as if something with rows of serrated teeth were gnawing on the other side. Like, there's nothing you can even say to compare it to other than, here's the weird sound that it the the image that the sound conjured in her brain. Yeah. Which is, like, so nebulous and fucking scary to me. And um, the actual, like, centipede monster, she keeps describing the sounds its tail makes as a giant walking around in rubber boots filled with water. I really appreciate how the monster is built up because it starts off with that kind of thing. They first hear it at the very beginning when they first start running. And yeah, she says something like, it's like a giant stepped in a puddle of water or whatever. And it's just this lat, you can hear it in your mind. You know, it was this one sound and they're like, is that a thing? I don't know, but let's go anyway. You know, and it keeps, like, and it slowly gets closer, and they start seeing a little bit more of it, and they start seeing a little bit more of it. But by the time it's actually close enough to actually see it, they're in the dark, so they, they're they only seeing based on this, like, fire that they have. And finally, at the very end, you kind of get a bit more of a description of it. But really, it stays pretty um, horrible and Lovecraftian and nebulous until the very end when they escape. It's mm-hmm. really good. It's... It's one of those great examples that King uses when he talks about writing in his books about writing, you know, like when he talked about the difference between terror and horror. Mm-hmm. And this is really, you know, this is some, until the very end, this is some pure terror shit, and he really does it well. Yeah, I I have always been somebody who is much more frightened of the things in my head than of what I'm seeing. Almost always. Um, and when I say frightened, because the... the it's such a sort of open word, but when I say it, I mean that kind of like deep gut level dread mm-hmm. that makes you like curl back away from the screen or the book and want to turn the next page to know what happens desperately, but also not want to turn the page because you're sure it's going to be super terrible. <laughs> and that is a very different vibe than, say, 
me not being able to look at the screen because somebody's getting like an ice pick through their eye. Right, right. You know what I mean? So that really horrible dread is like something that I only ever really feel when I'm able to either completely invent mentally whatever the monster is or when I'm given just a tiny flash of it. So that moment where she first lights the uh, flashlight Mm -hmm. and you see that it's covered in eyes. Yeah. 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 That that is not okay at all. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm imagining something horrible, but I'm kind of, you know, she she feeds you some ideas with the maybe it's like a giant, like articulated worm. Yeah. And so I'm like, I seize on that because as horrifying as that is, it's not as bad as it could be. Right. And then he has to go and be like, oh no 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 no. She's just trying to make herself feel better, and you're trying to make yourself feel better, and that's not what it is at all. Let me just give you a tiny taste. So when all you see is a bunch of fucking eyes, and they're not even just eyes, they're like blind albino pink eyes. Yeah. Which for some reason, the there's something more tactile about that that's like really grosses me out. And that its mouth is full of tentacles. Its mouth is. Mm-hmm. That's not how it's supposed to go. That's not how mouths or tentacles work. And, like, if a mouth were filled with teeth, that would technically be more dangerous. But a mouth filled with tentacles is way fucking creepier. Because it's just wrong. Like, you're not supposed (laughs) to be that way. So, that moment, I just, like... I I really, there should have been a camera on my face when I read that sentence because my eyes just got huge. I was just like, no, I don't like it. So when they continue having to run from it and it's just this tedious, awful like race where she's running out of Sterno and I take great issue with the idea that Roland wouldn't know that Sterno was useful to begin with. Oh, I want to talk about the fucking Sterno. (laughs) But... That whole thing where it's, like, running down and where she had to toss a can away. Hello, put it under your chin. (laughs) I know how big a sterno can is. You could have held it under your chin, you maniac. But whatever, it's fine. So talk about the sterno. All right, real real quick, I just wanted to say one more thing about the the horror of it all, which is that, um, you know, Sharon and I went to this all-night Screamorama this past weekend, which we've done before. Um, it's the thing where you go in at 7 p.m. and you watch horror movies until 7 a.m. It's pretty great. Um, except for this one had the Japanese version of The Ring on it, which we thought was going to be really scary and was the lamest fucking movie ever. Oh, dear. Guys. That's too bad. I had heard that it's really scary. That's yeah, too bad. so had I. Guys, it's nothing. Anyway, um, but one of the movies they showed uh, during this event was The Descent. Have you seen The Ascent? Or, I'm sorry, have you seen The Descent? <laughs> I have seen it, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's yeah, a good one. Another underground movie there. Um, and it eventually kind of devolves into, not devolves, but like turns into like what most horror movies I think should turn into, which is that there's nothing scarier than other humans, even when there are monsters around. Right. Um, it, it eventually does do that, but... Uh, before it gets there, the scariest part about that movie 
is when the main character, they're all going spelunking in these unknown caves, and the main character just, like, sees, like, something. It's like right. a little white, like, ape-like creature, like, in the distance running across, running between, like, two, a crack in the rock. And you're like, what the yeah. fuck? That's not, that's not supposed to be there. That looks like a person. Uh, that's the worst. Yeah. Um, Ugh, you're just getting me all creep judges thinking about it right now. I love the descent. I was so happy that Sharon finally got to watch it and she was scared the whole time. And it was great. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> so yeah, the Sterno. Um, I'm going to call some bullshit on a couple things regarding the Sterno. Okay. Um, most notably, the bit where she has to open it one-handed and King explains the fact that she manages this by saying... How how was she able to feel her way in the proper manner across the can? She didn't know. Denna Walker had her secrets, probably something involving Sterno from her past. Uh, I'm like, right. oh my god! I will... I am okay with Susanna being able to open a can. You don't have to explain it to me. It's not even opening the can, is it? It's about figuring out which one is the Sterno out of all of them. Oh yeah, that's right. You're right, it is. And that's what kills me about that is anybody who has used Sterno knows that shit is a different size and shape than food cans are. Wildly different. It's more along the lines of like a tuna fish can, but it's thicker than that. I mean, and much, it's smaller across. So the idea that like you have to explain how she'd know. It would not be difficult to know. It's a very different thing. It's going to be a different weight, too. The top is different because of the way it opens. Like, <laughs> it's just a weird thing for him to feel he needs to explain. Well, yeah. And, um, and even if it wasn't, know. it's like, I believe that this woman can, like, kill hordes of demons, guy. Like, right? I'm fine with that. I believe she can find a can in the dark. Like, you really yeah. don't need... It's okay. And And the same goes for how she first acquires it. Where it's like... She's like, hey, Roland, we should bring some Sterno with us to make fire. And he's like, psh, we don't need to make fire. I can make fire. And you're like, really? You don't want to use the fire-making stuff? Yeah, it was like a combo of this is just easier. And also, he states that he feels like the the terrain they're about to go out in is going to be really rough. So wouldn't you kind of expect there to be a lack of fuel and yeah. that this might come in handy later? And Just she says it's going to be cold. They, mm -hmm. they spend all this time looking for blankets. Yep. So it's like, yeah, you don't want a little extra fire insurance, dude? And I, I, so I don't believe he would, like, turn it down. And then, but they get it anyway because he's like, why the fuck do you want that? And she's like, I don't know, just a feeling or whatever. Yeah, she and doesn't even like, say anything. She's just like, I don't know. And that's, like, where it trails off. Ugh. But you get the impression that she takes it with it's her. It's just so fucking frustrating because... You could have just it doesn't been like, need to be there. Yeah, Susanna could have been just like, hey, Roland, this is Sterno. It's a good shit for light and fire. And he's like, cool, bring it with us. And that's fine. Right? Like, it works. Anyway. Yeah, it was. It, it's almost like King felt like he had to do something where she knew better than him. Because he wants to prove a point that her being there is useful. Which again, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, which again is... Kind of one of the reasons that I think I fixated on her not being able to do the thing with the seeing how places used to be. Mm -hmm. Because, like, she's not superfluous, but she really does feel like 
kind of just the companion here, you know, like, right. She, she doesn't really know why she's there. You know, Oi, at least it's like, okay, well, Oi was told to protect Roland by Jake, I guess, and had a choice and everything. And she does too, but she doesn't really, you know, I guess I'm, I guess what I'm saying is if that's why it was in there, then there was a way easier way to do that. That would have had more impact. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but they do get out of there um, after a harrowing chase that involves Susanna dipping dry bones into Sterno and using them as torches. Pretty fucking... Ru- like, does it get more metal than that? Nah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. When I said I had a problem with the Sterno, it was those, like, those weird things that he did in their acquisition and use of it. In terms of, like, it actually as a plot device, like, it's great. Um... Yeah, I'm just, like, a huge, a huge fan of the idea of, hey, you know what we haven't got a ton of? Wood. You know what we're going to use? Fucking bones. Yeah. Like, that is a pretty great illustration of the situation that they are in at the moment, I feel like. Yeah. Just, we have no natural resources left, so let's use the desiccated bodies of the dead to fuel our way through. Like, holy <laughs> shit. And to defend us from this monster. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they do finally come out of the tunnels, and just in time, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roland, it should be said, like, has been going. Like yeah, the fucking pain in his out. the pain in, the, in his hip is gone, and he has just like been killing himself to stay ahead of this thing while Susanna does her thing with the fire, and uh, and like they she kind of goes to rest when they're on the other side, and he's like fuck that shit, even though he's you know even though he's exhausted, um, which I kind of would have expected him to do more of it like a collapsing thing, but it's fine. Yeah. I I think another thing that really resonated with me about this sequence also is how fucking frustrated and helpless Susanna feels being the dead weight in her eyes. Yes. That he has to carry everywhere. That he has to make, like, you know, he has to f- accommodate. And he's, sounds like he's dying. He's running so fast and Mm -hmm. he's like choking and there's nothing that she can do to help him. Like the bones thing is kind of a godsend in a way because it gives her something. But before that, all she can do is sit there, listen to him sounding like he's going to die and listen to the thing that's chasing them that wants to eat them. And that is a fucking awful position to be in. There's nothing worse than being helpless in an emergency situation. It's the worst thing. So, yeah. I think that also helped with the whole like des- feeling of desperation about the chase scene is like just her point her being the point of view that we're in when this goes down. Sure. And and you know, they they start going through the the badlands as they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get this kind of, you know, again, King kind of shifts to doing something else and it's something else that he does really well, which is that kind of survival horror, like 
you know, all of a sudden Susanna is spending a couple of nights a week looking over at Oi and wondering how much oh fur they God. can get. Because it's... And I, I, I love the fact that they're not freezing to death. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... At no point are their lives in danger. It's just a sweater would be great. Mm-hmm. And that... That's, I feel like, not something you see as often when writers want to evoke this kind of effect in their story. You're often seeing, you know, in survival horror, oh, it's, you know, it's a blizzard, or it's a desert, or it's some something else where, you know, any misstep could mean everybody's lives. But here it's like, no, we're fine, but it's just like, it sucks. Yeah. And it, it's and- described as a splinter. I love it. I am I am of the mind because people fall in two categories. I'd rather be too hot or I'd rather be too cold. <laughs> and there are those infuriatingly wrong people who say uh-huh. I'd rather be too cold because at least you can put something on. You can put more layers on and get warm. But if you're too hot and you're naked, that's it. And that's just how hot it's going to be. So did you... To those you, like, people... been following me? Listen, I know your brain. <laughs> I think I know you by now. That is... That is... You could have taken the words right out of my mouth. To those people, I say... Uh-huh. You have never been truly cold. Because when you get truly cold... I don't give a shit how many blankets you pile on and how many coats you layer over your body. Underneath all of it, you are still fucking freezing. And you will not get warm for at least ten hours. There is no getting warm again once you reach a certain level of cold, except to be submerged in a bathtub of hot water. That's like the only way. Even sitting in front of a fire won't really do it because you, your whole back is exposed. So, the, like, and I am somebody, I get so cold. It's awful. I run cold. And I have been cold to the point of almost crying a couple times. I grew up in Connecticut. It's not great. There was a time where I got... It turned out school had been canceled and I didn't know it. And I was waiting outside for the bus for like 40 minutes because I was being babysat and she had other kids to look after and couldn't like leave the house to come and tell me. And the bus stop was three blocks from her house. So I was just sitting there and she was basically counting on me eventually figuring out something was wrong and just coming back. But I was afraid I was going to get in trouble if I just came back. So I stood there. And cried, and my tears froze on my face, and froze on my coat, and it was really upsetting. Being truly cold is the worst thing. I will take being hot over it any day of the week. And I didn't sound like I like being hot, but there is something so deeply, like, discouraging. The way that Roland talks about how it just wears you down... It's exactly what it feels like to me. And I'm cold so much of the time at home because Owen prefers the the air on. And I'll have it at 75 when he's not home. And then he gets home and he's like, oh, it's gross in here. And he turns it down to 70. And I'm like, fuck. Uh, fine. 
But yeah, you piling on clothes doesn't work. It, it, it will help in a situation like this where you haven't got anything on to begin with. But I've been cold under layers and layers and layers and have been inside for several hours after and have still had to go home and sink into a bath because I'm still freezing and shaking. Just... If I, if I may offer a brief counterpoint. <laughs> Allow me to rebut. <laughs> Allow me to retort. Um, so yeah, you're totally right that, that being really cold sucks. And, you know, I have, I have, uh, lived in Chicago during snowstorms. I have been out bike riding in Chicago in negative, I don't even know how much weather. I lived in Flagstaff. It snows there. It's 7,000 feet up. Like, I, I have experienced it. And so I do know that there are times when it doesn't matter how many layers you have, you're going to be cold, and it's going to take you a while to become uncold. That having been said, I spent most of my life in uh, southern Arizona. And I don't, like, I, I don't know what... Your, your highest temperature has been, Natasha, that you've had to experience and walk around in. But when it's, when it's 115 degrees here and there's no fucking moisture in the air at all. See, that's when I prefer it. I mean, it's, that's better than fucking Florida. I will give you that. But <laughs> there's, there's no moisture in the air at all. We are currently going, I think, on a hundred days without meaningful rainfall here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to be outside doing things in in summer, in Arizona, in Tucson specifically, and in Phoenix it's worse, um, you better go prepared. You better have your water bottles. You better have a couple of hats, sunscreen, uh, definitely a change of clothes because you're going to want that because you're going to be sweating. Because unfortunately, uh, businesses and schools don't close for extremely hot days, at least uh, not for adults. <laughs> oh, but um, I mean, I, I know that that most adult workplaces like make them in on snow days too. But like, if you no, don't... I was. Um, um, remind me to say something after you're done. But okay. yeah, go ahead. But like, if if you don't have a car with air conditioning, like it is so fucking miserable. And like, I, I just again, I, this is from my experience. You come from Connecticut. You've experienced the cold. I've experienced the heat. And um, personally, I think. It's more disruptive because it kills the the day for you. And, like, you know, I guess that if you go to work, you know, and you work in an air-conditioned environment, you're fine. But, man, if you have that heat, that sun pounding down on you, it is I, – I would absolutely be freezing cold before experiencing that. Absolutely. Without question. The what you had said about you better be prepared. That's another thing is that in order to deal with the cold, you need money. Like, you need a good coat and gloves and hat and like layers of clothing. And winter clothes are a fortune. 
And I think that's part of it too, is that in the summer, clothes are super cheap because you don't need to worry about that kind of shit. So I also super appreciate that. But I've lived a lot of places and I've dealt with heat. Like I respect that you grew up there, but I've lived in heat. I passed out in Palm Springs when it was 120 one time. <laughs> I know what Sorry. it's like. I, but... Me laughing at that sounds like such an asshole anyway. No, no, no. It's fine. Like, like it wasn't a big deal. I just right. got some Jamba Juice and was on my way. Sure. But uh, it's just, yeah. For me, there's nothing quite as like depressing. And, and it, like it depends, of course, on the level of heat that you're looking at. Like where you are versus where I am. We've, we're going to reach 110 this summer easy, right. but we also have plants. Yeah. And that helps. Yeah, we have asphalt. Because we have a really humid summer. So I can look outside and be like, I don't want to go out there, but it sure looks nice. <laughs> and you can't even have that because you look out and it's an arid nothing. That's really <laughs> just kind of like fucking the surface of the moon. So. And like, I don't, I, I also think it really is a personal thing. You know, because yeah. like, because again, I've, I'm, I, I respect that you grew up in the cold and that everybody else did, but I have, I have also done it. And like, I just, I, I remember walking home in a near snowstorm in Flagstaff one year. It was November 5th and I had been out at a fucking, um, at a, a Guy Fox Day protest because it was right in the middle of Occupy. It was 2011. Oh my God. And there were like three of us there. <laughs> And we called, and we packed it in in like ten minutes, and I was walking home in this snowstorm. You know, I didn't live too far away, fortunately, but like, I, I would just, I would have preferred that. And I thought about it, like, I, I prefer this to walking home in 120 degree weather right now. Like, it's just, I would. This is so much better. Anyway. This was probably the least interesting conversation that we've ever had. <laughs> the point is that it sucks when it's not 72 degrees in any would, given location. On this, we wholeheartedly agree with one another. Yeah. So I think we could just leave that there. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> the great the great hot weather versus cold weather debate is closed. It's been laid to rest, ladies and gentlemen. An accord has been reached. I repeat, an accord has been reached. That's right. Stop the presses. Anyway. Uh, uh, what the fuck were we talking about? <laughs> uh, we were talking about that you really loved that they weren't in danger. Like, it wasn't oh, that they yeah. were actually going to freeze to death. It was simply that everything was horrifically uncomfortable. Yeah, I just really like that. Which I definitely wrinkle. agree with. Yeah. Um... And, like, on one hand, like, Roland, like, legitimately snaps at her. Yes. For, like, suggesting they do a detour. And she's like, whoa, fuck you, bud. Yeah. And... I enjoy that, because she's like, it's not like she hadn't seen him mad, but he was being really fucking petulant <laughs> right? and sulky about it. And that was just annoying. Yeah, a... I feel that. After that, there's, there's not a whole lot. There's a really dark, um... I'm sorry. I don't know why I said dark. Um, there's a, a strange bit where we find out that Roland has a perfect internal clock, which... Oh, yeah. Is like, I guess it's fine, but they take a long time getting around to it. Again, explaining things that don't need to be explained, I think. Um, but it's basically like... <sighs> 
Roland has an internal clock, so he knows when a minute has passed, so he knows that the watch that he was given by the people of the Tet Corporation is still accurate, so they're not close to the Dark Tower yet. There's, like, mm-hmm. ten pages devoted to this. Um, yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. And then they finally come upon this village where they can't burn anything because the village fucking hates them because this is the Crimson King's village. And again, Roland is like, I'm pretty sure that the Crimson King blighted this land. You know? I have to be honest, I kind of liked that despite myself. Oh, yeah? And that was one of those moments where I was reading it and I was like, Miles is going to totally hate this. But (laughs) I couldn't help but kind of be like, it won't burn because it hates us. Which just felt true. Oh, I actually like like that. I like it won't burn because it hates us. I didn't like, you know, my, my senses tell me that when the Crimson King did a thing, this land fell into ruin. But... The 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 wood hating us, I kind of do dig that. So what what about like because I had assumed when he explained oh and the it fell into ruin I was kind of like well duh like I just sort of figured that he did something to blight the land himself. So what was it that you didn't like about that? Oh, just just more of the same. Roland inexplicably knowing things. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, that nothing nothing beyond that. Um. All right. Well, there it is. Um, there it is. Oh, there it is. Laid it down. Um, I do love the village when they walk into it as well, the way that King describes the village. Um, it was a weirding village, and she could not begin to imagine what species of freakish people might once have lived here, even though it was once established that this was her superpower. Wait, that's not there. Um Lol. The side streets were cobbled, the cottages were narrow and steep-roofed, the doorways thin and abnormally high, as if made for the sort of narrow folk seen in the distorted curves of funhouse mirrors. Yeah, that's pretty I dig it. I dig it. Um, It it reminds her of the the doorkeeper that Jake had to get through to get to Midworld, and it reminded me of the same thing. So... I like oh that yeah, that's right. That is so that house scene. That's some stuff. That's a good one. I kind of want to like just go back and read that. Like that would be kind of a fun thing to do is have listeners write in with like I'd like you to reread this scene and vote on them once we're done with the series. Yeah. And just go back and like read like, you know, maybe 3 4 different scenes that are really just excellent. That's a good idea. Um, but yeah, that whole thing with the house is just a good time. Yeah. It's so creepy. <laughs> oh, that fucking, I will never, ever forget or forgive that spider that he pops like an egg. Remember that? That the, it like dribbles down his back. Oh yeah. Oh God. I just like, I can't even talk about it. Oh, <laughs> gross. <sighs> All right. Um, well. Uh, they talk for a while as they're walking about Mordred and how he's behind them somewhere and how he's hungry. Um. A hungry. More, thank you, a hungry. Mordred's a hungry. I'm not clear on why King thinks that's scary. <laughs> but he clearly thinks it is, right? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't think, I mean, th- I'm not clear on what King thinks, like, why King thinks anything about why Mordred works in this story. <laughs> That's a very fair point. So, um, we don't see him at all during these chapters, but Roland is pretty sure he's behind them, um, following somehow. 
Uh, yeah, and they they see the castle before them, mm-hmm. um, and they the the chapter ends with the implication that they have arrived at the castle of the Crimson King. Yeah, and the whole plan is to try and trap Mordred in there, and then just like go on without him. Yeah, which is a bizarre like. If I were going, if I were expecting Roland to make a plan here, I would be expecting, oh, we're going to sneak up on him and kill him. Not, we're going to trap him and then, I'm going to place him in an easily escapable situation involving an overly elaborate and exotic death. <laughs> no, I'm just going to leave him and assume everything went to plan. What? I have a like, gun in my room. You know, like, it's just a weird thing to me that he's going with that as the foremost plan, not as, like, if nothing else, we can trap him here. Right. And he, she asks if he'd kill him, and he does say in a second, which I appreciate that he's, like, not hesitating on that at all. Yeah. But it was sort of strange that he's, like, not saying that this is going to be the worst case scenario, but instead, no, this is probably what we're going to do. Right. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I just, you know, really what it comes down to is I just want Mordred to be out of the story. Yeah. So anything that suggests that this is going to be prolonged, frankly, I'd forgotten all about him. So when she's like, (laughs) that one is behind us still. I thought she was talking about the creepy monster tentacle eyeball thing. Oh, yeah. A much more interesting villain than Mordred right there. At this point, to be frank. Especially with the implication that it might have been sentient. Ooh. Right? Yeah. Yeah, where she's like, that thing can't think. And then she's like, oh, shit, it probably can think. <laughs> um, but yeah, sucks. so then when he's like, he, she says, I think that thing is behind us. Aren't you concerned about it? And then Roland says, no. I was like, wait, <laughs> why not? You were running from that shit. And then she says something about a hungry. And I was like, oh, you oh. Mordred. Oh, who cares? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's the worst. I stand firm on that. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely with you on that one. <laughs> so yeah, they have arrived so, at the castle, and uh, dun, dun, dun. oh, and Susanna has a pimple. That sucks. Dun dun dun. <laughs> that's that's the real tragedy in all of this. What the music or the pimple? The pimple. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about that, like being in that that just a little bit too cold state with the fucking pimple too it's like ah <laughs> oh, it's the worst i like the like as much as it's gross i enjoy that description of her like it popping and then coming back and popping yeah. and coming back every Do fucking time we all time. have a zit like that that just like you get it in the same spot every time and you're just yeah. like come on well maybe not the same spot but close yeah um well good news to make up for that lame two-star review, we got a five-star review from MKR522. Woo! If you like the Dark Tower series, this is the podcast for you. Natasha and Miles are hilarious, and it's fun listening to them discuss the many great things and many flaws in this series. Thank you, MKR522! I'm gonna You're go a ahead great and, friend! I'm going to go ahead and guess that was written before we spent ten minutes talking about weather. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just, everybody's just going to totally, like, go back in, change their shit. One star! 
I like it cold. <laughs> and that's just going to be all it says with no context. And people reading the reviews and years to come will just be like, I don't, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> I like it cold. I was saying, we got a review on uh, Orphan Black that was just in all caps, I like Maggie. <laughs> and it, it was like spurred on because we changed co-hosts. So I had Owen to start off with, but then Maggie took over for him. And I was saying that we hadn't gotten a new co or a new review since I'd changed co-hosts and it was making Maggie feel bad. And so somebody specifically was like, I like Maggie in their review. And... Maggie was like, I wish all our reviews were like that. And I said, wouldn't it be amazing if literally all unspoiled reviews, people just said, I like Maggie, even though you weren't co-hosting. And it was just like a complete non sequitur. And she was like, I'd be fine with it. I'm sure she would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have three new patrons this week. Nice. We have Eva Hottenen, Lori E. Jenkins McClure, and Haley McJunkin, which Haley, if that is your last name... For real, that's pretty great. McJunkin. It sounds like uh, like the kind of last name you would make up when you were talking to the guy in the scrapyard. All right, Mr. Garbage McJunkin. Like, <laughs> that's, a, that's just a fun last name. Um, uh, it is pretty good. So welcome to all of you guys, and uh, thank you very much, because, like, practically all of you, um, not all... I, not shaming at all, but if you almost all pledged above the dollar dollar level, which I love my dollar patrons. They're actually probably what's like making it for me. Um, but whenever I see that people are signing up a little above that level, it gives me a little like flare of happiness to know that people think I'm worth that. So I appreciate that. And you also get like better rewards. So, you know, it's cool. You get yeah. stuff for it. It's pretty sweet. Um, so if you'd be, like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash unspoiled. We got a pretty amazing attempt at joining the patrons only Facebook group a couple days ago. Did you see that screenshot, Miles? No, I didn't. Oh my God. It was so funny. This guy tries to get in and there's a three question thing to like, make sure you're a patron. Do you go by the same name on Patreon as on Facebook? And what's your favorite unspoiled show? And this guy's like, are you a patron? He's like, no, I wish I was, but I'm, I just really want to be in the group. <laughs> and then the second one, which is like, do you go by the same name on Patreon as Facebook? He's like, no, I'm really not expecting this to work, but I just really want to be in the group. <laughs> <laughs> and I posted the screenshot because I just like, I loved the whole thing so much. And I think it was Tessa who was like, you should have let him in for like half an hour and let him enjoy himself and then booted him out until he coughed up the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I should have done that. You are right. But that unfortunately, yeah, I just call. booted him. Um, oh, brutal. But the patrons group is really fun, guys. It's There's a lot going on in there. So, oh, uh, boy, is there. You know, and I share a lot in there. Not necessarily during the week, because I have so much going on. But on the weekends, I'm just a maniac. Yeah. Um, Miles is like, mm-hmm. mm, Fucking filling up my feed and shit. Sorry. He's Sorry. turned off his notifications for our group. <laughs> I have not. Um, but, yeah. Uh, and also you can find us on unspoiledpodcast.com, facebook.com slash unspoiledpod, Twitter at unspoiledshow, Instagram at unspoiledpodcast. And that's about it right now. Uh, I started, just FYI, 
It's, it's very preliminary nascent stages right now. But mm. I started a YouTube channel where I'm going to rant and vent and share about plus size clothing. And uh, do some experimental shopping and show you all what things look like in, for reals. And, you know, if you're interested, it's going to be called Bossy Fat Babe. You can find a link on the Facebook page for the show. I shared it there, but I'm also going to create... I'm trying to switch over a Facebook page that I had for, like, a personal website. And Facebook is like, no, we're not going to let you use that name because it's misleading. What does that mean? Facebook doesn't give a shit about being misleading since when? <laughs> Don't give me that. So as soon as I know what's going on with that, I will tell you all the Facebook page address for Bossy Fat Babe, which I imagine will be facebook.com slash Bossy Fat Babe. But you never know. You never know. Um, that was a good miles. use of the word nascent, by the way, when you started plugging that one. How about that? Yeah. I, I got some vocab. <laughs> uh, take it away, sir. All right, well, uh, y'all can find links to me and everything that I do over on my website, www.mjschneiderman.com. Um, if you need to know how it's spelled, I don't know, Google it, guys. I'm not going <coughs> to spell it every time. I'm just not going to. So it's mjschneiderman.com. Go to it. Love it. Uh, you'll be the only one so far. Um, so you hope that's a fun experience for you. If you like kind of exploring new territory, you should really go over there. Uh also, you can listen to my other podcasts. I do a show called Smash Fiction with a bunch of cool people, and we talk about who would win fights between fictional characters. Um, there was recently a uh, a story in the news. I think it was in The Guardian, actually. Uh, former basketball player Kareem Abdul-Jabbar um, wrote an article about whether or not, you know, people talking about whether or not he's better or worse than the current NBA superstar LeBron James. And his conclusion was that, you know, it's, there's no answer to that question. You, you know, it's like, uh, it's like Namor versus Aquaman. You know, who, who, you can't answer oh, that question. snap. You can't answer that question. And who would want to, he says. Well, let me tell you, Kareem, Mr. Abdul-Jabbar, um, we want to, on the Smash Fiction Podcast, we did a match uh, with Namor versus Aquaman, and we determined a definitive winner, because that's what we do on the Smash Fiction Podcast. One of the many things we should we, that we do, I should say, because... Why did you just become a fucking good fella? <laughs> Was that just me, guys? You all heard that, right? <laughs> no, I heard it too. It's, one of, it's just one of the things that, that we, we do. do. Like, all right, sorry, continue, sir. I don't know why that happened. That was really, really caught weird. me off guard. Yeah, no, it caught me <laughs> off guard. Um, anyway, we we put characters in fights with one another and argue about who would win. We did a Roland match recently, Roland DeShane versus Bash the Stampede. You can go check that out. We've got uh, some more cool stuff coming down the pike. We just came out with the most recent episode of Extraordinary League, which is our actual play RPG that we do in between Smash Fiction episodes. Um... Also, in between Smash Fiction episodes, we do cool creative games that are called uh, Collaboratory and Surprise Party and uh, Shipwrecked, and I'm not going to tell you anything about those. Just go listen to them by their names alone, because they are brilliant names, and we workshop them to death. So, to death. really, 
Really, the marketing and the algorithm should already be doing its work, and I shouldn't have to do any of these explanations. You can also find uh, my writing on www.universesofthemind.com. Um, no, in answer to your question, no. But still go there, uh, because it's, it's, it's great, um, if I do say so myself. Uh, you can also listen to the Odyssey Storytelling Podcast, which is the podcast that I host and produce um, in exchange for money. So, you know, I don't know if I've been upfront about that or not. I think I have been, but yeah, I get paid for that one, guys. So, kind of proud of it. Um, and uh, yeah, go check that out, Odyssey Storytelling Podcast. And everybody that I've discussed, except for Universes of the Mind, is all over social media. So you can Facebook and Twitter and and just just Instagram away to your heart's content. And, and yeah, that's, that's the stuff that I'm doing right now. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the stuff that I'm doing right now. Doing. Doing. You know how we do. Yeah, that's how I do. That was a weird thing. I have no idea what happened. Yeah, I I can't, I'm not going to get into it. No. But it's uncomfortable for everybody and (laughs) I would prefer we just leave it in the past. Let's just, I I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. (laughs) Um... All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. A more positive show for a change. Yeah, it's fun. And we will see you next week with how many more chapters, Miles? Two. Two more chapters. We are doing, uh, I believe, the next chapter is called The Castle of the Crimson King. And the one after that is called Hides. So we'll do two more chapters next week. Ooh, Hides. All right, guys. Thank you. (laughs) I love the castle of the Crimson King. It's like, okay, but hides. Hides. Oh, I'm about the hides. The castle of the Crimson King really is like kind of a foregone conclusion, right? (laughs) But hides? No. I don't know what's happening there. Who's hides? Hides were going to be in the story. We assume animal hides, but is it? Is it? You what if it's to... fucking always hides? That would be so <laughs> oh awful. I'm God. sorry. I didn't even, I didn't Why say it. Why would you do that? Guys, don't. I didn't say anything about that. Oh. Anyway. Uh, we'll see you next week. Toodaloo, next motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast.